So they're going to tell us a little bit about what they're doing, and then uh, I think Alan's going to bring word for us. Yeah. So we'll just pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for bringing Alan and John here this morning, uh, bringing the whole family, and I just pray your blessings on them, and that we'll hear your voice this morning. Amen. Hi, guys. So lovely to be here. I'm Jan, I'm married to Alan, and so therefore I'm a Kilpatrick. <laughs> Which is a real honour. I do have the best in in the world, and I do tell everybody that. So I'm very thankful for them. Um, Alan and I have been married for 33 years. We have four children. Um, two of our boys, our two boys are here. We've got two girls who are married. Um, our oldest daughter has two little babies, um, so we've got two grandbabies who are just the delight of our life. Um, so mum and dad are great grandparents. Yeah, so Bob and Eileen are great grandparents. Yeah, it's heritage, <laughs> generation to generation. Um, and yeah, we work for Iris. Um, but just as we were worshipping, I just felt, um, you know, it's not about a name, is it? It's not about a title, it's not about a place. It's about, as your church testifies, it's about um, being a life that's a life of faith. And you are called Faith Life. And just hearing testimonies this morning from, is it Brenda? Sandra. Sandra, sorry, just her life of faith. And you know, it's like actually all the Lord calls us to is to be surrendered to him. And that's what we are. We just want to be surrendered to him and to say, Lord, just take our little life and use it. Use it either to speak in the marketplace, in the coffee shop, or even, you know, in other nations, in churches. And I just, you know, just kind of want to start that as a premise. It's not about a name. We're not here to sell Iris or, you know, but we are just surrendered, surrendered lovers of Jesus who just want to um, give him all the glory and just say, take our life and do what you want with it, Lord. So, um, I did have a word. I don't know if you want me to share it. So, as I was worshipping, I felt the Lord say that this is, he just honours your name as a church, that you show a life of faith. But I felt, and, you know, we all know the cultural shifts. We know what's happening politically. And I just felt the Lord saying that he's going to take you again on a journey of stepping out. And I saw it was like the Egyptians, you know, like the Egyptians as they were going, I mean, the, um, the Israelites, sorry, as they were going and they followed the pillar and they followed the, um, the pillar of fire by night and the... Um, I was going to say smoke, but it wasn't the cloud, that's the word. <laughs> yeah, well, if, I guess if there had been a fire in the night, then there would be smoke in the morning, but here we go. And I just felt the Lord saying, you know, it's, you can't sit on the fence anymore, that shift, cultural shift has happened. And church, and I really felt that in this building, you've created a place of shift. Um, as I walked in, I, I can't remember the last time I was in this church. It, this, well, yeah, it is a church. It's the temple. So in this building, um, the um, toilets were gender neutral. And I walked in and I saw girls' toilets and boys' toilets. And something in me was like, oh, some shift's taken place in this, in this building. And it's like, actually, you've created a place of shift but, and change. And I felt that the Lord's saying, that's what you're called to as a church, that he's going to take you and plant you in different places. Take it, you know, this is just me, so take it and weigh it up. And, but I felt that actually what you're, you've um, kind of created is a place of faith. And faith is about risk. It's never about sitting comfortably. It's never about just getting complacent. It's about always moving where the Holy Spirit leads. So I just offer that to you that, um, you know, he absolutely loves what you've created here and the shift and the change that's even probably happened in the school that you don't even know about. You know, in, in when they were traveling through the desert, you know, the Lord created manna and quail 
to feed them. And I just felt, again, that the Lord says he hasn't forgotten the recipe for manna. Somebody said that recently and I, it really struck me and I thought actually we've got to take risks and live this life of faith. So just offer that to you. So we are um, Iris director sounds a bit posh but we're with Mark and Cheryl and Bob and Eileen and Rick and Julie and Trina who's our administrator we kind of work to um, just help facilitate it's a it's probably one of the greatest privileges is that we um, have uh, we we have been a giving center up to now Iris um, and we can just give money out it's such a joy to be able to give finances out to different locations around the world. We have about 70 different locations. And um, Alan and I get the joy and the privilege of being really, we call ourselves professional cheerleaders, because we just want to cheer people on, you know, our, our ceiling is their floor. And we just want to cheer people on in what they're doing and what the Lord's calling them to do, to be able to help facilitate, you know, financially if we can, but also just to physically go and visit them and um, cheer them on with what they're doing. So our role in Iris is really to do that. We have we are um, here in the UK at the moment. We're based here, um, but also we go and travel throughout the year to different locations that are needed. And then the other role that we have is within Iris Global, and that is we are uh, part of their care team. So we provide pastoral care for missionaries and for location leaders. So we connect weekly with them on Zoom or WhatsApp um, and just encourage them that way. So um, I don't know if I'm missing anything. No, nothing else. I, I, I mean, we do want to share a little bit about Iris, but actually we could care less about the name of Iris in one sense because you hear it the right way because really we're just a small part of the puzzle and all we care about is Jesus and that's the name that we want to lift high but we're part of an organization called Iris. Heidi Heidi was once uh, started by Heidi and Roland Baker just in case you don't know you might even know who those people are um, but uh, uh, Heidi said that uh, the Lord challenged her when she said oh Iris is going to bring in the catch of fish uh, and, and the Lord just sort of laughed and said no you're not the net you're just a little knot in the net there's lots of other knots that are part. And, and actually, I mean, what, what we're doing in Iris, you're doing here. Um, we don't want to have any sense of us coming in and saying, oh, we're abroad or doing this in different parts of the world. And, and that's just a calling we've got. Uh, your calling is, is within Cambridge at the moment and maybe wider afield. And maybe one day the Lord will take you to, to you know, abroad to work or something like that. But we're doing the same work, just in different spheres. And so we want to be here to encourage you. Uh, J.B. Phillips, in the 1960s, in his translation, uh, translated 1 Timothy, I think it's 4 or 5, one of the verses about a man called Onesiphorus. And he says, this man put fresh heart into us. I think in the other translations it strengthened us. But we've just been really encouraged by that phrase, this man put fresh heart into us. And our, our role really is to, to put fresh heart into people, whether it's abroad or whether it's in the local church within Cambridge. And so we pray. Our main prayer is that, that you know Jesus more and that you feel encouraged. If you can leave that this morning, then job accomplished. But we love working with Iris. Uh, as Jan says, there's over 70 locations with new locations. Uh, arising as uh, in time, normally in some of the most difficult parts of the world, they, they tend to, the people that are attracted to Iris tend to head to some of the more difficult places. So in a moment I want to pray for somebody, you don't know, I talked to him on Friday night, his name is Jonathan, his wife's Fleur, he's got two little boys, little sweet little things in there in Haiti, and uh, Jonathan's in Haiti at the moment. And he's saying, Alan, I'm trying to decide whether to go and preach the gospel in this area in Haiti. Uh, we've got bulletproof jackets now, so that feels a bit better. But I'm, I'm just trying to decide whether it's the right thing to go and preach the gospel in there with my bulletproof jacket on. So I'd love to, I said I'd pray for him. So you're five hours behind, but God can catch up the prayer. So if you don't mind, we're going to pray for him. 
But that's the kind of people that we were hanging out. That's the kind of people we want to put fresh heart into. We two weeks ago we came back from uh, three and a half weeks in the states, just being with missionaries, having a gathering, just encouraging them, having fun games, just worshiping together, just lying. We had a big piece of carpet that was donated to us. I mean, it was massive piece. Yeah. Anyway, we like to lay on carpets. We like to lay carpets. <laughs> and so it was massive, and, and at times that carpet was just covered with bodies, just crying and snot pouring out every place, and just, just weeping and surrendering once more. You would just look and you just think, my goodness me, we get the privilege and honor to, to encourage and support. Uh, these guys who are going to preach the gospel on a Sunday morning with a bulletproof jacket on because there's gang warfare. Um, it's such an honour to, and that's the kind of stuff we, we do feeding programmes and and schools and there's a couple that we want to go and see in Brazil who, who live in a rubbish dump and that's their job that they live, uh, their location is on a rubbish dump and two people we have never shine, saw shine Jesus so much in our life. They just sort of Lord, it's just the kind of people you just want to go and be beside, and they live to on a rubbish dump. And from seven to ten every day, they worship for three hours, and then they, you know, they they feed and they bless and they encourage. And so that's a little bit about Iris. We can tell you more uh, about Iris. Uh, November thirteenth, we have a, a new documentary coming out called Nefento, N I F E N T O, which is. Uh, one of the tribal languages in Mozambique, which means love. And it's a 50 minute documentary, and it's about there's a war in Mozambique, which is why we're not in Mozambique at the moment. Uh, ISIS and Al Shabaab are trying to take over the whole province of northern Mozambique called Cabo Delgado, where Heidi and Roland live. And um, the, the, the documentary was, was made by a couple of missionaries in Iris, just highlighting. Um, Highlighting the situation over there, which is which is fairly bad. Um, but it's a, it's a documentary of hope. You press the button. Press the button, and that should unmute it. Is that better? Oh yeah. 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 Technology these That's days. That's what I it's have to <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's a documentary of hope. So it gives the reality of the situation and shows the hope of Jesus Christ within that situation. So. You can look at it on YouTube for November the 13th if you wish. Yeah, and if you've got any questions, or um, then, you know, by all means, talk to us after. Yep. All right. You want to say any more about Iris? Sorry? <laughs> I'm going to start my time now. See <laughs> what time do you finish, Mark? Ten minutes? <laughs> okay. This is just to remind me when I started. <laughs> Many years of being with them have taught me to ignore it. <laughs> well, it is an honour. Thank you so much uh, for being, for Mark and Cheryl, for asking us to come and be here this morning. We have been to this church a couple of times, I think. But uh, it's a real honour to be with you and to, to share. What I really prayed... I think I found out this week or Wednesday or Thursday that I was asked to preach here and I said, okay, Lord, I need, I need a word. What do you want to say to the church? And, and I felt the Lord gave me a word and it was just lovely to just talk with Mark, the, the, the word I'm going to share. I knew nothing about your past three or four weeks of what you've been taught. I, I knew nothing about the passage or what you're talking about. So I felt that the, when I heard what you've been learning about over the past few weeks and what I'm going to speak about this morning, um, it was a real confirmation that, uh, that the Lord's going to touch your heart. How many of you here believe the Lord's going to touch your heart this morning? And just really speak into a fresh word. Why, why don't you just ask the Lord now, just, Lord, I need fresh bread this morning. Jan just said that he hasn't forgotten how to make manna. And we can come to church, can't we, and just so somebody's up there speaking. But actually, it's not really me speaking. I, I pray that the Lord will speak into your heart. So just, just take a moment and just ask the Lord just to give you some fresh bread this morning. So come Holy Spirit.
we need you to speak to us, Lord. Amen. And all of us at some point have played hide and seek. Some of you as parents, when you've been playing with your children hide and seek, you were so good, you were so expert, you were so determined to win that your child never found you. And still to this day doesn't know where you hid. You won. Well done. And some of you were absolutely useless at playing hide and seek. And, and you just couldn't ever find the right place to, to, to hide so that you were, you were never found. And there was, I saw some pictures of children on the internet um, playing hide and seek and, and they were like this. I might get some feedback here, yeah. Like this, there was a picture of children behind trees, like this, or, or underneath curtains and you can see the legs, uh, but the head was just in the curtain or one of the girls had actually got behind a toilet system and all you could see was her head just above the toilet system. And how, how she actually got there and why there was a gap that a child could get in there. You could, it was quite spooky really. You'd walk in the room and just see this head above the toilet system. But I think with children particularly, it's the, the idea that if I, if I can't see you, you can't see me. So it doesn't matter about the rest of my body, but if, if I can't see you, then, then I can't see, uh, you can't see me. And, and my question this morning to you is, are you hiding in the right place? Are you hiding in the right place? I mean, the children in the, in the photographs that I looked at um, of, of playing hide and seek, they were hiding. Definitely they were hiding, but they weren't hiding very well. They could be seen. And, and I felt the Lord wanted to gently encourage some of you here this morning and say some of you are hiding in the wrong place. The scriptures, I've got two scriptures uh, from Psalm 119, two verses. Psalm 119 uh, verse 114 and Psalm 32 verse 7. Psalm 119 says this, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. And Psalm 32, which is Psalm of David, when, when uh, after the whole Bathsheba thing and just, you know, being brought to the, 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 the sin, being brought to the forefront and him repenting, Psalm 32, he says, you are my hiding place in verse 7. I, either there's a big angel behind me or the words are up there. Is that right? Well, that's good. That's very efficient. I, I thought it might be an angel. You can't know. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. We, we, all, we all need to hide. We all need to hide. It's just where are, are we all hiding? When there's an attack, then um, we automatically take cover. I've never lived in an area where there's been bombings. But I can imagine that, that when there's bombs falling around you, that you automatically think, where, where's the safest place to hide? And normally, particularly for those, maybe one or two of you lived through the Second World War, that you can remember the bombs in the Second World War, and you would go for the air raid shelter. There was an air raid shelter that was purpose-built to be a place of safety and refuge, and you would run for that air raid shelter to be safe and be protected because that was the right place to be but it would be absolutely ludicrous wouldn't it if you knew there was an air raid shelter just here and there was bombs falling down now and you would just stand there and not move or you would go and hide behind the speaker or you would go and hide behind a tree those are hiding places they're just not very good hiding places when the bombs are falling the right hiding place is the place of safety, the place of refuge, the place of shelter that is purpose made to protect you. Yet some of us, and I put my hand up, absolutely 100%, please don't think I'm preaching at you, I'm preaching at me. That some of us hide like in the wrong place like the children in the photographs you can see. You know, behind a tree or 
or under a curtain. We go and find safety, refuge in all the wrong places. But the place that some of us are hiding in at the moment is the wrong place and offers no protection and offers no healing, offers no safety. It's like in the 1960s, the children in America were told in the case of a nuclear attack, go onto your desks. <coughs> the greatest place of safety, under a desk. When there's a nuclear bomb falling, get under your desk. Looking back on it now, it seems a bit ludicrous, doesn't it? But maybe for some of us, when there's a spiritual nuclear attack, what we're doing, we're hiding under the desk rather than going to the right place of safety and the right place of refuge. So attacks are going to come. We can all testify to the, the fact that attacks happen. Spiritual attacks happen upon our lives. And it is right that we find a place of safety and refuge. But as I've said before, so often we find safety and refuge in all the wrong places. It says in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's not just looking for a little appetizer. He's looking for something to completely and utterly devour and to annihilate. His, his one joy, our enemy's one joy, is to take you down in the most ungainly, horrific fashion possible. He wants to rip you to shreds spiritually. Especially if you're getting a little bit on fire. I mean, C.S. Lewis said, it doesn't really matter if you're a Christian, you're a bit lukewarm. But, but if you're getting on fire, if you're getting hot with the Holy Spirit, if you're getting baptized and filled with the Spirit of God, and you're taking risks and walking by faith, then the lion is going to come and devour you in the most horrific way. In 1 Peter 2 it says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I think in one translation it says, which these flesh, fleshly lusts, it's really hard to say, fleshly lusts. It's not a word you say after this, it's not a phrase you say. <laughs> they wage war against you. There's thoughts and temptations that are coming against us like nuclear missiles that are waging war against, against us that want to take you out, that want to pull you down, that just want to stop where you are. The expectation of no attack can be a setup for disappointment. If we're thinking for the next year I'm not going to have any spiritual attack, then we're all going to be very much disappointed and we're going to stumble, we're going to fall, we're going to be tempted and we will give in to temptation. It'll be okay that we say, we, we say nothing really bad's going to happen to me, or I'm safe, or I'm strong enough to be able to do this, or I'm untouchable, or the devil doesn't really care about me, or I've got it covered. And then attack happens, we're taken by surprise, we, we get ambushed, and we're not prepared to repel the attack in the correct way. We've been caught unawares. And we suddenly find ourselves exposed and vulnerable to attack and we, we don't have the armory, we don't have the, 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 the equipment to be able to, to repel the attack. So we go and hide in all the wrong places. Sorry, I just have to stop here. I didn't pray for Jonathan. And I'd rather pray for Jonathan than continue my sermon at the moment because my friend has gone in. So Jonathan, Lord, I pray for Jonathan. And Matthew, as they're deciding whether to go into uh, this gang area in Haiti with the bulletproof jackets on to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, we don't go looking for, for death. Uh, we don't want to be martyrs, but Lord, we will suffer for the gospel if necessary, which is one of Iris's values. And so Lord, I just pray that you would give Jonathan and Matthew wisdom in the decisions as to whether they go in or not. And if they do go into this area, I pray that you would set your angels around them and protect them, that no harm would come to them. 
uh, that even if bullets are shot, that the bullets would be stopped by your angels and, and that your gospel would be preached and lives would be changed in the name of Jesus. Amen. I, I know that, I, I do know, and this is not arrogant, please don't think I'm arrogant, but I know that I'm going to progress in my Christian faith in the next 12 months. I know that I'm going to grow in my faith in the next 12 months. Because I, I know where I hide. I know the right place to hide. I know where I need to go. I know that I'm going to face struggles. I don't always succeed resisting temptation or, or dealing with struggles in the, the most positive way, but I'm getting much, much better as the Spirit of God continues to strengthen me and as I learn more and more to get into the right hiding place and to hide in the right place. You are my hiding place and my shield. I have hope in your word. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You will surround me with songs of deliverance. Another reason that we hide in the wrong places is not just because we get attacked, but we hide in the wrong places because of shame. That shame will drive you to hide in the wrong place. We were tempted. We succumb to temptation. We look back and regret Having done what we've just done, we experience pain, and so we hide. We try and soothe the pain. We, we feel that we can't go back to God because we've sinned against God, so our place of comfort is sort of blocked off to us in a way. That's what we feel, and so we, we go and try and find comfort and hide in a different place, often the wrong place, and then we go to that wrong place, that hiding place is not where God wants us to hide, and that just compounds our shame, and we just get this horrible cycle of going down that we, we find that it becomes more and more difficult to get out of. In Genesis chapter 3, we, we see that. Genesis 3, and the woman said to the serpent, um, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. As you go down to verse 7, after they ate the fruit, then the eyes of both of them were opened, verse 7, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. In the previous verses, we know the story. God said, Don't eat the, the fruit. They ate the fruit because they gave it to temptation. They ignored, they saw something good. Just notice, they saw something good, and so they ignored what God had said. They saw with their eyes something they thought was good, but and that, that seeing something stopped them from obeying the word of the Lord. Just like uh, the, the Reubenites and Gadites, when they got to the edge of the River Jordan, they were just about to cross over into the fulfillment of all God had, the promised land, and they said, no, we don't want to cross over because the land that we see here is really good. And so Moses said, well, you're going to have to fight the same battles, but you're not going to enter into all the inheritance I have for it that God has for us. Because they saw that the land was good. They didn't enter into the fulfillment of all that God had for them. And so they, they saw that they were naked. They looked at one another and saw that they were naked. They'd been naked all the time. Something's changed here. They, they'd been walking around the garden together naked. They did something wrong. And then suddenly they, oh, something's changed. You're naked, I'm naked, this is embarrassing. What will people think? There's no people there, so it doesn't really matter, but we have to cover ourselves. There was a, a shame in that disobedience, a shame that enveloped them because they ignored what God had said, so they covered themselves. And then they, what did they do? They heard. They heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they decided that they were going to hide themselves. When you've disobeyed God, then you find it difficult to be near Him. You can't just go and sin prolifically and then come into a worship service. 
it would always be impossible because you would come in to a presence of the Holy God and always find it difficult to, no, I can't do that. I, I, you know, Jamal's testify that sometimes, you know, if I'm feeling a little bit grumpy and I said a sharp word, the, the, and she says, let's put on some worship. I go, no, I don't want to put worship on. Because, because, you know, I felt uncomfortable. I've done, you know, I've not been loved my wife as Christ loved the church. And so when we disobey God, we find it difficult to be near him. And God shouts out to Adam and Eve, why are you hiding? And why did Adam respond saying, well, we're really sorry, we disobeyed you, uh, and we ate the apple. Why didn't he say, why did he say, I was na I'm naked, that's why I hid. God had made them, they'd been naked all along, and now they're embarrassed to be naked before their creator. Why didn't he say, we disobeyed you, we ate the apple, sorry Lord. No, he chose to say, because I'm naked, and there's something more than happening than just a physical nakedness here. I think there can be two forms of nakedness. First one, a, a physical one that they tried to cover up with fig leaves. They tried to cover up the nakedness, but in covering up the naked, the physical nakedness, they also discovered actually there was a spiritual nakedness within them that had been exposed, something had been exposed, that they suddenly thought, oh my goodness, we have done something. There's a, a, an openness, a nakedness within us spiritually that, that we cannot, we cannot cover this up. There was a nakedness that they couldn't cover up. I think that's the nakedness that they were experiencing when they hid from the Lord, not the physical nakedness, it was a spiritual nakedness. If you notice a little few verses later, after God had had um, had given his judgment, he, it says that God made them clothing. Well, they already made clothing. So why did God make them more clothing? In a sense, the clothing that Adam and Eve put on was completely insufficient to cover up the nakedness that they were feeling with inside. Only God could cover up that. Only God could transform that. It's as though God said to them, the things you do with your own nakedness and shame, I don't receive as an acceptable covering. Unless I clothe you, you're naked. I'll provide a covering for you. And of course, we know that clothing is Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can stand before him is being clothed in Jesus Christ. And so, because we're trying to cover ourselves up in the other way, because of the spiritual nakedness, this shame, we, we go and hide in all the wrong places. And we cringe in fear because of, of what we've done. We cringe in fear when God calls, comes calling. And that's not the way we're called to live. We're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. You're warriors. We're not called to hide because of fear of God. I had this picture. It's actually one of the little chapters. I do get very embarrassed promoting books. I had to write stuff, but I, find, I do find it difficult to. But there's one of the chapters in there is called Wax. And it's because the Lord said, gave me this picture of, of people who were standing before the Lord and worshipping him. And then they sinned. And little by little, they started to turn away. And it's like the sin was like this candle wax that was hardening on them. And the more they sinned, to compensate for the sin that they already committed, they became covered in this candle wax, turned away from the Lord, and really hard and resistant. And they just stuck there. We, we hide in all the wrong places because of low expectations. I, I, I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. Or we hide because of hypocrisy. We, we don't want people to know who we are. Or we hide because we've got a fake spirituality. We're just going through the motions because we don't really understand. We don't really connect with what's happening in church. Or fear. I'm just too scared to take this, this step of faith. I'm too scared to go back to the Lord. Or lack. I don't have the resources. I'm not able to do it. So, so we hide. Or addiction. We, we hide an addiction. Don't hide in the wrong place because you feel sorry for yourself. Many of us can run to the enemy who's attacking us in order to hide. 
Are you going to hide in enemy-held territory and expect to be safe there? That you're going to sin and then you sin again because you want to hide somewhere because you want some comfort and so you start to walk deeper and deeper into enemy-held territory because you feel as though you can't come back to the Lord. All those places are, are an illusion. We hide in places of illusion. We see it in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, the story of um, Elijah. And it says in verse 2, Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do it to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the one of them by tomorrow about this time, the ones who were dead. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. But he went on and came and sat under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then, as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he goes on, the angel fed him for a couple of days. And in verse 8, So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And then he went into a cave and spent the night in that cave. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 11, then he said, go out. So we have this man of God, Elijah, who, who had experienced the victories of God. He'd been powerfully used by God to bring victory to, to a people group. He's frightened after the victory. He's frightened by the potential repercussions of the victories. He could die because he's made a stand. He could die as a result of that stand. So he runs, he hides, he runs for his life. He doesn't want to die. He's been threatened with being killed. He doesn't want to die, so he runs. I need to get away from here, he says to himself. He forgets the victories of God in and through him. He forgets all that God has done. Fear takes grasp and envelops him and he runs for his life. He runs into the wilderness. Most of us are trying to run away from the wilderness. He runs into the wilderness, a place of no life, and sits under a broom tree and he prays to God that God would let him die. The Lord doesn't kill him. Instead, the Lord does the opposite. The Lord provides for him. Isn't it good that the Lord often doesn't answer our prayers? He goes up, runs for 40 days, strengthened by that encouragement, that provision of the Lord. He gets to horror of the Mount of God. And what does he do? He has a worship concert. He has a, a big event. No, he gets into a cave. He goes and hides in a cave. And the word of the Lord comes to him and says, what are you doing here? Why are you hiding? Verse 11 says, get out. The, the Lord is essentially saying to Elisha, why are you hiding in here? Because this place will constrain you. Where you have run to will constrain you. When, the, when my call is out here, this is the place of my call, not in the cave, not in this place of hiding. My call, your calling, is out here. Come out of the cave. Come out of low expectations. Come, come out of hypocrisy. Come, come out of, of a fake spirituality. Come, come out of fear. Come out of lack. Come out of addiction. And come into all the places that, that God wants you to, to work in and live in. Come into your calling. Come out of hiding and come into your calling. God says, I am your hiding place. He says, I am your hope. He says, I am your shelter. He says, I will surround you with songs of deliverance when your enemy will try and surround you and sing you songs of disillusionment and, and imprisonment. I am the only one who can bring you safety. I am the one who brings you freedom. Hiding in the wrong place can, can, um, can lead us to being trapped into a prison that's even worse than the thing we're running away from. 
You know, it's like a child, you know, playing hide and seek, and they suddenly find themselves locked in a room they can't get out of. That's what hiding in the wrong place can be like spiritually. And of course, the solution is to, to learn to hide in the right place. You are my hiding place. You're my shield. I hope in your word. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. And I suppose that the question we all need to ask is how do we, we do that practically? But I've got some points here that are complete rocket science. Not really. You know all, you know, just, you know all I'm going to say to you now. You, that's the problem, isn't it? We all know what we should be doing. It's just actually doing it that can be the problem. First of all, know that it is safe to come out of, of hiding in the wrong place. For those of you who may be hiding in the wrong place at the moment, know that it is safe to come out of hiding. Maybe you're hiding because of shame. God is not going to condemn you. He welcomes you with open arms. Look at the story of the prodigal son. The father runs to him, embraces him, blesses him. He didn't speak words of anger or judgment over him because mercy triumphs over judgment. He welcomes him, embraces him. And that, if you're hiding in the wrong place because of shame, then know that it is safe to come out. It's safe to come out of hiding and run into the Father's arms. Come out of, there's a great song by Stephanie Gretzinger said, come out of hiding, you're safe here with me. This is God singing to us. <coughs> come out of hiding, you're safe here with me. There's no need to cover what I already see. You've got your reasons but I hold your peace. You've been in lockdown and I hold the key. No need to be frightened by intimacy. So know that it's safe to come out of hiding, particularly if you're hiding because of shame. The second thing is trust in the Lord for he is your shield. Trust in the Lord with he, because he is your shield. If, if God is for you, then who cares who's against you? I mean, literally, who cares who's against you if God is for you? If God has got your back, then who cares who's opposing you or coming against you or calling you names or trying to tempt you? The devil comes to us and tries and tempts us. And uh, we want to say, well, really? That's it? That's how you think you're going to tempt me? That's how you're going to make me fall? That is laughable. Because I trust in the Lord Almighty. And He is my help. He is my shield. He surrounds me with songs of deliverance. And that's where I'm going to stand. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will make your paths straight. The first thing, as I said, know that it is safe to come out of hiding. The second thing is trust in the Lord with all your heart. The third thing is memorize scripture. What does it say in the verse here? I hope in your word. The verse says, I hope in your word. If you hope in his word, it means that we need to know his word. We need to get the Bible and we need to open it and we need to read it daily. Absolutely daily. We have to have a quiet time daily. We have to come before the presence daily. I, I don't care how you do that because we all have different lives and each of our quiet times will be different from each other. We're not called to copy each other, but we're called to get into the secret place, worship, open scripture and say, Lord, I, I need hope. Show me the words of hope. Memorize scripture. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But God has made a way out for you so that you can stand up under the temptation. Or, or in the Psalms, I have set my heart toward your command. So an attack comes, we get tempted, and our heart, you know, we're saying, oh, I might get tempted. If we're prepared beforehand because we've memorized scripture, it will automatically come and say, no, I have set my heart to, to obey your commands because 
It says in the scripture, I know that you have enlarged my heart. You will enlarge my heart. So I say no to this because I am positively saying yes to this. And you can only do that if you've prepared yourself beforehand. If you, if you prepare yourself in the good times, if you get into the secret place, if you write scripture, if you memorize scripture, if you trust the Lord in the good times, then you'll automatically go there in the bad times. We have to have it hidden. That's what it says in Psalm 119. How can a young man stay pure? By, by having your word hidden in my heart. There's something about having the word of God hidden in our hearts. And one of the only ways that I know how to do that hiding is read a lot, but also memorize scripture. The fourth thing is to sing songs and worship God. God is surrounding you singing songs of deliverance. He's saying, you're free, you're free, you're free. And the angels are joining them. They're free. And he's singing songs. It says in Zephaniah um, chapter 417. Is it 317? 317. You know, he dances around you singing songs. So the Godhead is surrounding you with sing, singing songs. And so, isn't it right that we join him? You know, the, the attack comes. And we're, we're tempted to, to sin. You know, say some, some sort of lust comes against us, whether it's a, a sexual lust or a, 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 a lust of, of wanting to pull somebody down or, or discourage somebody or be nasty about somebody. If we're not prepared, then we will give in to that. But if we are prepared, because in the good times we've worshipped, we've read scripture, we've, we've prayed, we've been with the people of God, and it's so important to be physically in the community of God. Really important you're with physically one another, that you rub shoulders together like soldiers in a battle and worship together. Then when that temptation comes and we've prepared our hearts, we can just, we can look at it and say, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul rejoice. Because that's what we've trained our hearts to do. Our, that's how we've trained. We're, we're going to hide in you, Lord, not here. And even on the occasions when we give in and we sin and we yield to temptation, then we know that we can come back to a God who doesn't condemn us and he once again forgives us because Jesus already died on the cross. It's already been done. Your sins have already been covered. And we come back to him and we once again listen to the songs of deliverance that are around us. Incline your heart to keep his commandments. Make a decision today to incline your heart to keep the commandments of God and let them encourage you. I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I've set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Make the Lord your hiding place in good times, and you will automatically go to him in bad times. Remember the wax? We've sinned, we're hiding, we've turned our back on the Lord, the wax is hardened and and it's become so hard, we're covering so much wax that we can't move. All it takes is some fire to melt the wax. And we just start to once again slowly turn around and face our God and let the light of his presence melt the wax. And once again, you're free. You can stand and you can lift your hands in worship. He's waiting you for some of you to come out of hiding and abide in him. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of your wing. And I feel that for this morning, uh, for some of you this morning, there's going to be a, a reset and there's going to be a reconnection. And I, I really would love the, the Lord just to do what he needs to do within you. And I don't know what you normally do, so I'll make it up. So you... You mind standing? Maybe the worship team can come up. That'd be great. I thought your worship was good. I thought your band was fantastic. Thank you so much.
Spirit, we welcome you. You've already been here, we know that. But we pray that you would manifest your presence to a greater extent now. So come, Holy Spirit. Set our hearts on fire by the light of your presence. Just wait for him for a moment. Maybe there's one or two people here, you need to, you need to hear words of forgiveness because you've, you've sinned or whatever, you've, you've, you feel shame. And I, I'm an Anglican priest, and so in the Anglican church, we would, it was called the absolution, but it's actually, all it is, is a, a, there's nothing magical in the words, it's just a declaration of what God has already done. So I just want to um, want you to lift up your hearts to the Lord. If there's a sin, then just confess that to the Lord. Just repent of that sin. This is your chance to reset and reconnect. I'm not going to ask you to do anything embarrassing in the slightest. Just where you are, just come before the Lord Almighty and just repent, confess. You may feel hardened by the wax of sin and this is your moment just to start turning around and let the fire of his presence melt the wax around you and set you free once again. Almighty God who forgives all and truly repent, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no magic in those words apart from what God has done. We're just declaring what God has done. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his resetting. Receive his reconnection. Come out of hiding. You're safe here with me, he says. Come and hide. Come and abide. Come and rest. Come and stay in the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. That's the place of safety. That's your air raid shelter. That's where you feel safe. That's where you will be safe. Not through any other, not through any other intellectual thought processes or philosophical uh, th thoughts. Not, not through any physical acts. Not through achieving such and such business-wise, academically. Not through getting lots of money, we know that, but we still try and do it. And that's not where safety is. Safety is under the shadow of his wing. So get as close to God as possibly can. Get as close to God as you possibly can. <laughs> 